everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 139, and I'm talking with Charlie Watson. Some of you might know her from social media as The Runner Beans. That is her Instagram name, where she has a pretty robust following over there. I've been following Charlie for some time now. She is so kind and sweet, and I have to say adorable because I love her British accent. If you are not following Charlie over on Instagram, you need to do so. Go find her at The Runner Beans. You probably already are because she has 45, 46,000 followers over there. Charlie has completed all six of the World Marathon Majors, and she has been training for a BQ. She talks about her journey in this episode from running her first marathon that she signed up for. She didn't even know how long a marathon was. Um, She ran that in something around four hours and 50 minutes, and she's taken her time all the way down to three hours and 44 minutes, and she has the goal to qualify for Boston. I think this is really relatable to so many people. She worked so hard to break four hours for the first time, and now she's working so hard to qualify for Boston. And so I got to talk to her about what she's doing differently, the coach that she's hired, and how her training looks for meeting these goals. Charlie is so adventurous. She's a world traveler. You guys, she hiked Mount Kilimanjaro with a bunch of strangers. She went on this trip and just met up with a bunch of people she never knew and hiked Mount Kilimanjaro, which I found out she did this. I found this out during the episode. It blew my mind. Anyway, I really think you guys are going to love this conversation with Charlie super casual and laid back for sure. We also get to talking about social media and Instagram and that world a little bit, which was kind of fun to do as well. Before we get started talking with Charlie, I want to thank one of our sponsors for this episode, and that is PrepDish. PrepDish is a healthy subscription-based meal planning service. When you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. After only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have all your meals for the entire week. You'll save time and have amazingly delicious meals like smoky paprika chicken legs with a trio of roasted vegetables or turkey and zucchini lasagna. The founder, Allison, is offering listeners a free two-week trial. Check it out at prepdish.com slash another for this amazing deal. If you guys haven't already listened, check out episode 118 of the podcast. I interviewed Allison and I got to hear about her vision and how she started PrepDish and what she hopes people that subscribe to the service get from it. They have gluten-free, dairy-free, and paleo meals. And you don't have to be gluten-free, dairy-free, or paleo to get the benefits of them. These are healthy meals. And don't forget, Allison is a dietitian, so she knows what she's doing. So for two weeks free, go to prepdish.com slash another and use the promo code another. Thank you, PrepDish, for supporting this episode of the podcast. All right, guys, make sure you're following me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at lindsayhine. And join our Facebook group, I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. All right, I won't keep you waiting any longer. Let's go ahead and enjoy my conversation with Charlie Watson. Today on the show, we have Charlie Watson. Some of you might know her as the Runner Beans on social media. How are you, Charlie? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, and I'm so excited to have you on today. You are just the most adorable person to follow on Instagram. <laughs> oh, thank you. So let's get... Uh, Let's have everybody get to know you a little bit. Can you just kind of give everybody a, if you had to describe yourself in, in five different things, ways, what would it be? Um, gosh, that's tricky. I'm, I would say that I, if you follow my Instagram, I'm a runner. 
Um, I'm studying to be a dietitian at the moment. I am um, British, obviously. <laughs> um, I got married last year and I'm in the process of moving house, which is incredibly stressful. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I love to travel. I love to race abroad. Um, my husband's a pilot, so that's very helpful. Yeah, you travel a lot. Like you are everywhere. So where did that come from in your life? When did you get the desire to start doing that? Yeah, I think I've been really lucky. Um, my my mom, I grew up with just me and my mom and we traveled a lot when I was younger. Um, so I've always thought it's totally normal to travel this much. Um, and then everyone says that it's not. But I'm, you know, I married a pilot and I, um, I'm lucky to get some, some good perks through that. Um, so I just make the most of it. I will think nothing of going to New York for a long weekend, um, doing the red eye both ways, basically. Yeah, I actually saw on your Instagram that you're coming. You're not. See, this is what's cool about you. You're not even running New York, but you're coming just for the weekend to enjoy the marathon festivities. Yes. So I'm actually coming with a group of runners um, who from all over the world. There's a Canadian um, some Europeans and some Brits coming to run the New York Marathon. They're running it for their first time. And we're doing it as a little group of runners that maybe don't have a partner or a friend or a family member that wants to come with them. Um, so we're doing it, yeah, as a little group, getting to see the city. I'll be cheering them on. Um, and I, I've run the New York Marathon twice, but I've never spectated it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, yeah. So you've run New York twice and... You've done all of the marathon majors as well. So I want to get into that, but let's walk back to when you started running and why you started running. And you ran your first race in 2009. I ran my first race at all, and I didn't run again for three years. So it it was an, like a 8K, five-mile women's only race um, that was in support of a breast cancer charity that I ran with one of my friends and we had to walk after about a mile. And I thought, I obviously I'm just not a good runner. Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, and then in 2012, I signed up for the London marathon to run in memory of one of my friends. And I literally didn't even know how far a marathon was at that point. Um, and I signed up through a charity and lied and said I'd been training for ages. And <laughs> Yeah, they gave me a spot and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually need to figure out how to run to find a training plan. And um, yeah, it was a very steep learning curve. And the charity you ran for was a mental health awareness charity, correct? Yeah, it was um, a charity here called Mind. Um, that's, I think, one of the biggest mental health charities in the UK. Um, I sadly lost my friend to depression um, in our final year of university. And I wanted to do something sort of positive in memory of him. And so tell me how you trained for that first race when you didn't even know how long it was. And when did you find out, oh, this is 26.2 oh, miles? I don't know when I figured out how far it was. I used to well, I used to follow some food and running bloggers. And that was what gave me the idea that I could maybe do the marathon. And so... Um, it's Daily Garnish, which is Emily Malone. Okay. And she was like, um, her advice on her blog was to use the Hal Higdon training plan. So I found his like supreme beginner, I think it was 20 weeks or even longer perhaps. And it started at one mile. 
So my the first day I went out to try and run a mile and I couldn't even get to the end of my street and I had to pretend to stretch on the post box because I was so embarrassed if anyone had seen me that I literally had just left my house and then couldn't get to the end of the road. So it was, I built up mile by mile and my mum would put two pounds in a pot towards my charity fund every time I did a run. So that was a good incentive to get out there. Okay, tell me what two, how much money two pounds is if we're talking American dollars. Um, like $1.25. Okay, okay. $1.50, depending on the, what the exchange rate is like. Um, okay, so did the 20-week plan, did that work for you? And what time did you run in that very first marathon? I mean, so the 20-week plan, it works, but it didn't involve any speed work, any tempo. It was like three to four miles midweek um, at absolute max. And then it built up to 20 mile long run. And I ran without any fuel. I had no idea what I was doing. And I did it in four hours and 54 minutes, which I just wanted sub five hours at that point and not to walk. So I achieved that goal. I hit the wall hard at mile 20 and felt totally miserable. And there's, there's a photo of me like clutching my side death staring at my parents um (laughs) and yeah but I crossed that finish line and I was like I think I could do that faster so it was not as I didn't hate it obviously so you weren't one of those people that said I'm never doing this again that was that last 10k was way too miserable I think I probably said that in the last 10k um, but as soon as I crossed that finish line, I was like, that was amazing. I need to do it again. All right. So if someone he- here today is listening and they've never run a marathon or actually maybe they haven't even run at all and they're just kind of thinking about it in this podcast maybe is something that could bring them inspiration. What would you say to someone who uh, needs to get out there and just run the first mile? I think I think the problem is, is that the first mile is the hardest of every single run I go out on it. It takes your body a couple of minutes to to settle into what you're doing. Somebody once told me that your body is a metronome. So once you settle into a comfortable pace, you can sort of keep going for quite a long time at that pace. So know that the first steps are the hardest. Know that everybody struggles with the first steps, but it gets easier and it gets better. Yeah, I mean... When I'm setting out to do a hard workout and I do like a two mile warm up or something, yeah. In the first mile of the two mile warm up, I'm like, "How the heck am I going to pull this off?" Yeah, and you're like, "Maybe, maybe this should just be an easy run. Maybe I should just do three miles and come home." Yes, but you kind of just have to. So, say you're doing like four by one mile repeat or something like that. You kind of just have to say, "Okay, well, I'm just going to warm up and I'm going to do the yeah. first of the four repeats, <laughs> and then I'm going to." take a little break and do the second and you just kind of have to start. Yeah. Um, I had a tempo run yesterday that I felt like that during that I was like, right, two mile warm up. I can go as slow as I want. But then as soon as that third mile hits, it's trying to get hit 730, which for me is quite fast, but I did it thankfully. So are you, are you 11 marathons and how many marathons have you ran now? Yeah, 11. So I've got number 12 in a couple of weeks. Is that in September? Is that when you're running it? Yes. Okay. All right. So you have a PR now. So you ran that first marathon in 4.54 and you have yeah. a PR now of 3.49. I think- 3.44. Oh, 3.44. Yeah. Um, I um, I got a PR in Tokyo in February. Oh, this is a new PR. So. Okay. Yeah. So you have a PR now of 3.44. Tell everybody 
this is a big goal a lot of people have is to break four hours. So tell everybody what that moment was like and when you made the decision to make the breaking that four hour barrier a goal. So my second marathon was New York and I ran that in four hours and nine minutes. And that's when I realized that on a less hilly course with more training, I thought I could break four. And so I actually set out to try and do it in Paris and I missed my goal by about 35 seconds. Oh, man. And, yeah. And I, I crossed the finish line and I cried because it was, it was so painful towards the end. But I knew with about two miles to go that I probably wasn't going to make it. Mm. But I was like, right, I have to keep running as fast as I can because I need to cross the line knowing that I've given everything. Um, and so from there, it was then the next goal was actually the Berlin Marathon. And I worked harder than I ever have before. I hit every run. I did every, you know, all of my cross training, all of my stretching, ate really well. And I knew it was going to be painful from the start. I think Paris, I'd started out too conservatively. So I just went into Berlin knowing it was going to be awful. And, <laughs> um, and, and I ran like a 10 minute PR there I ran 349 in in Berlin and the the worst thing about Berlin is you think that the Brandenburg gate you know the big uh, famous gate you think that's the finish line and so people are stopping their watches they're slowing down and then there's like a hundred meters to go (laughs) and it's awful because you've you sort of know that it's coming somebody had warned me so I literally was like pushing people out of the way (laughs) for stopping their watches um and yeah I crossed that finish line and because I was abroad and it was before phones were so, you know, worked so well abroad, I wasn't getting a text message through to say my finish time. Um, and I needed to know that it, the official time. So I randomly got a text from a friend that was following me in London. I was like, you did it, 3.49. Um, and then as I, as I was trying not to dry heave on the side, <laughs> a, a, friend of, a friend of mine was in like the VIP box and he like was just jumping up and down screaming. So Aww. I was like, I knew, knew I did it with uh, quite a big margin. Well, yeah, but didn't you know without the text if you, I mean, you were 11 minutes under. That's a, that's yeah. a big chunk of time. So my watch actually said 3.50. Okay. So I just wanted to know whether it was, you know, what how close to... 350 it was but yeah I knew I I knew I'd done the done the sub four and by quite comfortably so you've also paced marathons you paced London did you pace the 444 445 group yes tell me about that experience it was amazing I was so nervous going into it sort of a theme in my life is I'm always really nervous um but I, I just tried to be really positive and I had sweets to give out to everybody I, it was a really hot day in London, so people, well, for us anyway, um, people were asking whether I was going to adjust my pace based on the heat, and I was like, no, we're going to stick to 4.45. Uh, I had probably about 40 people to start with, and that dwindled quite quickly. By 20 miles, I had like less than six people, and by the end, I was sort of, none of my original group were with me. It was, it was picking up people along the way and trying to encourage people down the, down the final two miles. And I've actually been asked to do it again next year. So I'm really, really pleased to be going back. Yeah. I am so excited to pace marathons once I'm out of the uh, baby making stage, (laughs) the carrying children stage, because I've only paced one half. I paced uh, Indie Women's last year and 
it was so fun. I paced at a pace that was a little bit faster than what I would choose. Um, so it was like, I was like actually kind of working when I was pacing, but like, I would love to pace like a four hour marathon group and just be that person. Did you have a, a pacer? And since it's such a big marathon, did you have another pacer with you? No, I was in the small start. So for the London marathon, there are three start zones. And I was in the small start zone, so it was, you're just solo, which I think was quite brave that they put me having never paced anything before. Um, and I was surrounded by people in fancy dress, in like costumes. Oh, so fun. lots of people dress up for the London Marathon. And there was a big person dressed as an ice cream behind me. So <laughs> all I could hear was, yay, ice cream, by from all the kids on the streets for the first like 10 miles. Um, but no, I was on my own. But I sort of made friends with the people around me and was trying to encourage them and um, just just keep them positive. And for most of them, it was their first marathon. So just trying to explain what we were going to be seeing, when, how they were going to be feeling, how to, you know, when to take water, that sort of thing. All right. So when did you make the goal to do all of the world marathon majors? I feel like I don't even remember making it a goal. It, somehow I'd run three of them and realized that I was halfway <laughs> through. So it was London was my first, New York was my second. And then I ran Berlin because I knew it was fast and it's not that far from London. That's when it became a, oh, I wonder if I could tick off all six. So I ran, they, they were a year apart. So I ran one a year. And then I did Chicago in 2015. And then obviously there's, for me, it was difficult about the Boston situation. So I actually did it with a brand, knowing that I wouldn't get in with my time yet. So I wanted to complete them all before I turned 30. And that was last week. So um, yeah, I made that decision to do that, do Boston with Adidas, one of the sponsors, and then ran Tokyo this year with the sponsor because it's really hard to get into Tokyo Marathon as well. It's a, seems to be this one of the smallest ballots for international runners. So does Tokyo have a like a qualifying system though? They have a good for age in the same way that London and New York do. Okay. But that's also a ballot. So it's not um and I actually it's it's a 340 for my age group for that one. Okay. So I didn't have a qualifying that's sort of they have a general entry through the ballot system and then the good for age ballot system yeah because New York you can get in I think qualifying on time but it's even like way faster than Boston right is it I don't and maybe I'm, wrong. I'm obviously not that fast and maybe I think it's what it's a 130 half thing. yeah it's something fast or maybe even a 125 I don't know it's something fast but oh. And maybe they've changed it since I last looked. But I remember back in the day when I was like looking into it, I was like, well, could I disqualify instead of entering the lottery? But I, yeah, I mean, and it might be like a 315 or 310 for the full. So I don't even know. But um, so tell us about your journey to uh, trying to get down to that Boston qualifier. If you're about to turn 30, uh, you need to run a 335 and your PR is 344. So what are you doing yeah. to hit that goal? Other than running on a downhill course in Utah, uh, <laughs> I'm running a much small, running a much smaller race. So I've only ever done massive marathons where there's so many people around you that it's quite difficult to get into your stride straight away. Um, and then 
just running faster. So my tempo runs a 7.30. I ran a 10K PR on the weekend. So I'm hoping that means I'm in good shape. What, what did you run your 10K in? So this was, for London, it's very hot at the moment. It, um, and I ran a 47.20 something, okay. um, which is not what I, I was hoping to run a 45, but I just, it was, we're not, we're not prepared for the heat here. So our races don't start till 10 a.m. So it was about 30 degrees. I don't know what that is, like 90 something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. What is that pace? 47.20. What is that pace per mile? 7.32. Oh, well, that's, yeah. And then so your marathon pace for the 3.35 is like 8.24, right? 8.10, I think. Oh, 8.12 or something like that. Oh, it's I was, I'm hoping to run like 8, eight just like between 8 and 8.10 and just hope for the best. And it's in Utah. So what about the elevation? So... In terms of the altitude, the the race drops quite dramatically to start with. So they say that actually you shouldn't feel the effects of the altitude too badly. And the everything I've read says you either have to go to altitude what like two weeks before your race mm-hmm. or the day before. So we're arriving the day before, and I'm hoping that the fact that it's downhill will make up for the fact that I might struggle to breathe. A little bit in the first few miles, <laughs> and it's and it, even though it's a net downhill, it's still a Boston qualifier. Yeah. Okay. So there's, it, I don't think it's like straight down. It's not like it's it's got a few rolling hills at the beginning, and then it's um it's it is a net downhill, but it is the Boston qualifier, and we'll just see what happens. It's all part of the fun of trying to qualify. Well, I'm gonna say if you ran a 10k in 90 degree heat at 7:32 pace this far out I mean you're still like a solid six weeks out right yeah yeah I mean that's yeah. totally realistic so you're getting there so you you have a coach now that's helping you so tell me about that relationship and how you chose her yeah so I'm working with Ashley who is a happy pace and we met in Boston uh, in 2017 at a dinner that um, one of the other girls organized and um, just thought she was really lovely. We've stayed in contact through Instagram and she's been working with another Instagram friend, Heather, who's try and run girl. Um, and she has come on so much since I've been following her. She's, she's qualified for Boston with a huge PR this year. And I just loved her approach to training, her can do attitude. And she just is always so positive. And I just thought that's such a nice way to look at this rather than it being a scary formulaic plan oh I love that you know we we whatsapp we instagram message and she she's just like yeah count every second of that PR enjoy it I'm always really positive about my training and and my feedback saying this is really hard yeah Um, so yeah well I love too that you've talked about that I I was looking through your you did the question thing on Instagram and it's really important to me I coach a few runners it's so important to for people to know that if you miss a run like you can't get hung up on it you just got to move on and I think that you look at that in a really positive way as well did you get that from your coach or did you kind of have that nature in you to begin with I think that's something I've learned over the various training cycles that your marathon training 
plan you know it's between three and six months for some people one run one bad run or one missed run does not mean that you're you've sabotaged your marathon and I think that people get so worked up on this you've got to do this run this day you've got to do this run this day that they let it take over their lives and they actually don't enjoy the experience whereas if you sort of are a bit more flexible about it if you make it work for you you're more likely to enjoy it and then enjoy the race and if it doesn't go 100 percent to plan on race day you'll be a a bit more flexible about it but b you won't have sacrificed everything for it to have gone wrong which i think i've learned the hard way after i ruined paris for myself by just crying for two days straight is paris the one where you did 30 seconds over the yeah, four hours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i have found in my experience too when I kind of uh, toe the line, letting it all go, you know, with still having like big dreams and big goals for how fast I'm going to cross the finish line, but kind of just like letting myself accept that whatever happens on that day is going to be okay. Um, I end up racing better because yes. I'm not as nervous. Yeah. I mean, when I ran Tokyo, I had no expectations. I wanted to run a PR, but I was didn't put a final number on it. I just said, Anything below 349, I will be thrilled with. How cool that I'm running here. And I switched watch faces. And I had some sub eight minute miles in there when I was just like having a blast. And I think that we've, well, for me, I've got to remember that I do this for fun. This is my hobby as well as now has sort of turned into my job sort of. But we choose to run. We, we, have given up on other things like family time or social socializing with friends to go and run. So we should be enjoying it. Yeah. And when you, that's, that's exactly what my husband always tells me. Like it, when it hurts bad in a workout or a race, he's like, this is the fun part. Like you, you have the ability to feel yeah. this way, like, and you're choosing it. So like smile a little bit and, and enjoy it. Exactly. Feel sort of proud that you're able to push through it and challenge yourself but also that you are able to that you've got the time you've got the health the commitment all of that sort of side of it yeah I mean without sounding too like sappy and cliche like if you just think about the health side of things and the fact that you're able to do it that's basically all you need to just stop your whining and enjoy what you're doing (laughs) (laughs) exactly and I mean I don't take for granted the fact that I am able to travel to these races so I think you know I don't want to ruin my whole trip to Tokyo because I if I have a bad race then it'll ruin the trip or ruin the experience this is probably the one and only time I'll ever run this marathon so you know look up stop just looking down at the watch on my feet and then take in the sights and that's part of the reason why I like to travel to run run these marathons is that it's more than just the race yeah so you mentioned that running has kind of turned into your job as well and um, you have 45,000 Instagram followers, which is a lot of followers. And when you get to that point, there is, there does turn into be sort of a business aspect of Instagram or social media, if you want it, yeah. if you want yeah. that. So tell me about how that is part of your life and, and what all that looks like. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've, I've been really lucky with turning sort of Instagram blog running into a job because it's allowed me to go back to school to study to be a dietitian and not have to have a like an inverted commas proper job outside of that to fund myself so I work with brands that I love and I'm able to share 
share that on on my social media on my blog and have some really cool experiences and share those but also to give out quite cool things to people that follow me I've been able to give out race entries to the London Marathon to the New York Marathon to the Disney Marathons that I it's sort of my way of saying thank you to people for supporting me on my journey sounds really cliched but you know you know like this this process of me trying to run faster trying to study sharing sharing my life online yeah and to people that aren't super invested in the online community, my husband, for instance, and maybe your husband as well, he's not on social media at all. So anything he knows about social media is just like through what I'm doing. But I think he gets it. Like he gets the community and the relationships I've built, A, through this podcast, but B, then through the other networks. So how do you, how do you explain this to someone who's like, you know, like that is just not my thing. Yeah. You've really developed like true friendships and relationships with people that have been following you and you've been following on Instagram. It's kind of weird when you're like, it, it, we're not real life friends, but we are. And I speak to people on Instagram more than I speak to my, you know, real life friends via text. I think it's, it's changed the the world. It's actually made it smaller and more accessible and you can travel to, so for instance, yeah, I'm meeting up with people in Utah that I literally have only met online, but I feel like they're real life friends. I think that there is a difficulty. So a big conversation that my husband and I often have is, so I suffer with anxiety and sometimes it's made worse by social media, but I try and explain that actually the positives massively outweigh the negatives for me and that I am learning when I need to take a step back from it. And when it's good to share that my anxiety is online and when it's actually like I need to have two or three days away from Instagram and people's hashtag perfect Instagram lives. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the thing that I try and do really is to share the ups and downs and I share when I'm struggling with things and I will let people know that I'm having a really rubbish day or that my run was awful or that things aren't going great with our house or whatever it is. And so that it's, it's showing that, that it's a real life rather than the perfect, perfect life that has, has helped develop these friendships and these, this community basically. Yeah. There's a balance because I, I kind of have the same thought process with social media. I want to share the good. I want to share the bad. I want to share the in-between Um, but you know, in these times in my life with my kids and my head's a mess and I'm feeling crazy, you know, like yesterday, for instance, um, my husband came home from work and I was just, I was a wreck. Like I just, everything was crazy and I couldn't handle one more kid screaming at me. And we we had this conversation, this really in-depth conversation last night about how maybe me being home three days a week with the kids isn't, isn't the best thing for me mentally and emotionally because it's so Mm. it it just it wears on me and so we got into this big discussion about like maybe I work more and all that Um, but it's things like that that like what's the balance because I'd like to share so that other moms and people living in the kind of reality that I'm living in see that man this is really hard but you also don't want to share too much because you want you don't want people to think you're ungrateful that you've been blessed with these three kids so there's just this like weird balance to figure out. No, I think you do a good job. I love following your Instagram stories. Like when you're like, that's three kids in the bath or, you know, (laughs) left the room for 30 seconds and I came back to this. And I think it's, I think it's, 
share being vulnerable and showing humility and humor massively I'm like this has gone wrong how ridiculous is this like I was like we've packed up our whole house and I have lost everything like genuinely everything in our (laughs) stack of boxes my bank card my laptop charger I kind of feel like telling telling Instagram these sorts of things the way you tell your friends that you'd say right okay maybe I'm being a bit you know stuck up about this or a bit snotty about it but if you address it then people don't think that of you or almost is how I feel like if I was telling one of my best friends like this ridiculous we call it I don't know if you have it in the US like middle class nightmare oh sure yeah Yeah. I know what you mean and you're like this is a ridiculous situation that's happened but yeah I couldn't find my granola yesterday hashtag middle class nightmare like it's literally like nobody really cares I'm getting irrationally (laughs) upset about it but it, it doesn't really matter I think that's the thing it's it's the acknowledging when it's when it's something you're being irrational about or when it's something you're genuinely feeling vulnerable about and people people appreciate honesty that's really true like if you just say hey i know this is ridiculous but i'm really hung up on this and i feel like crap about it <laughs> yeah yeah and you wouldn't believe the number of messages when i when i send say things like that that people are like yeah that really would upset me too or this ha- this ridiculous thing happened to me and I think that it's in the way that you would you would open up to friends, family, that sort of thing. You, I, that's how I treat Instagram as like one big giant friendship group. And I probably overshare way too much. Oh, same uh, here. I do too. Nah. <laughs> I feel you. Um, so tell me though, how did you, how did it turn into 45,000 followers? Like how did this, and I, and I can tell that it's like been a very organic process. So when did your Instagram start taking off and when, like how did this all go down yeah it's been very very slow I haven't been one of those people that has like shot up by 30,000 overnight or gone viral or anything I think I hit 10,000 followers just after I did the Chicago marathon so back way back in 2015 so it's been very sort of slow gradual um increase and I don't I sort of I used to be like oh, I want to hit this number and now I'm like I actually just want people to be engaged and interested I care way more about having nice conversations and for people to DM me and that sort of thing than about the numbers on the screen really So do you find that I mean do you find it difficult to respond to everybody <laughs> Yeah at the moment I have like 95 direct messages because I I put out on my Instagram yesterday that I was really bored of revising or maybe the day before and was like oh can send me your first ever Instagram picture and I'll pick like the funniest one and I thought like five people would respond and oh, I've sure. had hundreds <laughs> hundreds and they are amazing all the filters and you know when people used to blur out everything but one bit and you'd take an awful photo of like your ice cream or something um, <laughs> And it, it really made me laugh. But yeah, I I do respond to everybody. I do really try to, but it sometimes it takes a while. Man, I feel like if I went back to find my first Instagram picture, it would take forever. Cause you <laughs> have, you ha- There's no way other than scrolling through, is there? No, I don't think so, no. Oh my gosh, that would take a really long time. I know for sure. I 
started Instagram in 2012 at, right after my first son was born because I was at the, I was at this uh, bagel shop and I was super pregnant and some random kid was asking me about Instagram. He was like, "Girl, you're about to have a baby. You have to get on Instagram." <laughs> And I and I started an account that day. Oh, sweet! I, I was told because I had because I had a blog, I had to have an Instagram, but I didn't really know what I was supposed to share on it. So, and I would get like two likes, which was probably my husband and my mom, <laughs> right? And they were terrible, terrible photos. And I didn't get. I remember the first time I ever got like a hundred likes. That was a really, really big deal. <laughs> and now I think if I got a hundred likes, I'd be like, "What's wrong? What um, happened to my picture? There's no engagement." I, well, I mean, if you have forty five thousand followers on Instagram, a hundred likes, it, it was, you would be like, is the algorithm messed up? Yeah. Like what, what happened to this Instagram? Because yeah. really we don't even know what's going on back there. I mean, we don't even uh, know what they're showing people, the people that follow you, like what they're actually seeing. They're, they're doing some crazy uh, stuff behind the scenes. It's frustrating, but I've, I think that was the thing that I was like, I need to take a step back when I would start getting upset if a photo didn't do well. And I had to be like, why am I sharing this photo? Is it for validation? Because that's what it seems like if you're just looking for likes. And I was like, no, it needs to be more informative or sharing how I felt or telling other people that they can do this workout or it doesn't matter if their workout went wrong today because that today, you know, tomorrow's a new day, that sort of thing. So I stopped looking at it in terms of like, right, give me praise for my run and looked at it as like, what can I help somebody else with or inspire someone or motivate someone else that's scrolling through their Instagram in bed and should get up and go work out. <laughs> go run. Yeah. You know, I talked to Jess Hoffheimer, um, Pace of Me. She came back and did a Patreon episode with me recently. And we were talking about just like sharing your whole self on Instagram because um, we both were, were talking about how for instance, if I share a picture that's like just of my kids or like one of my kids, like it's not going to get as high of an engagement as, as if I'm in the picture or it's like yeah. this super cute picture of me showing like a cute pregnancy belly bump or something. But Jess and I were just kind of talking about like, well, who really cares though? Because here's the deal. And the other thing is, is you'll lose followers. Like, so yeah. if I share a picture of like my middle child doing something I think is hilarious and cute, well, the people like you or, you know, my, my actual real friends or people that listen to this podcast regularly and feel like they know me, they're probably going to like it and think it's funny and cute too. But yeah. the other random people that followed me because they listened to like one random famous elite runners episode, they might be like, oh, why am I following this person? Um, yeah, but it's you kind of just have to be like, well, I don't care. Like, this is my whole life. This is who I am. This is, you know, like my kids are like the most important thing to me in the world. And if I want to share, I'm going to share whether it's a high engaged photo or not. And I know this to people that aren't really into Instagram. They're probably like, wow, you are really overthinking this thing. Uh, yes. And that's when you're like, I'm, I've got to put this up on Instagram. I've got to get it up in the right time. And you're like, why? Why am I so obsessed with this? But actually, my friends were like, can you start a separate one? Because A, you're not seeing any of our photos. And B, like, I didn't want to share people's like kids. So when it's not, obviously, I don't have my own kids, but my nieces and nephews. Yeah. I didn't want to share them really on my social media because it's, it's not my place to share them. So I've actually got a personal one now where I literally don't care the photo. It'll be whatever I want it to be. It'll be my, me and my friends or babies or 
something that I think is cute or funny, which probably isn't, there's a lot less pressure on that. But I know what you mean about I've got to be in all the photos and it looks really kind of narcissistic that I'm in every single photo yeah. on my Instagram page. I actually, um, I follow this girl, uh, Jenna Kutcher. She has a podcast called The Gold Digger and she did, she did this post or this ep- entire episode on how when she put herself in every single picture for like 30 days her following increased by like this significant amount and I'm like wow yeah I'm like that's crazy but it is true because people are following you because they're interested in you and your story and what you're doing um I actually started a separate one too just because I like I don't follow anybody no like I don't even think anybody really knows about it I think like 20 people follow it but I just I wanted to um have I think Instagram is a really good way to catalog pictures and I just wanted to have a place to just like post the random everyday kid pics that I take um so and then but sometimes I forget about it for like three weeks and so then I'll go through my pictures and I'll like put like five up at once from the past week just oh to the like algorithm sure would like them. that oh no the algorithm would hate it but I'm like well I don't care about you <laughs> yeah, algorithm, exactly. because this is for me <laughs> okay, I think so, yeah I think that's nice yeah 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 and it's all kid pictures like that is all it is <laughs> I mean I think most of the photos on my personal page are me drinking some form of alcohol that probably wouldn't go down very well on my running page but yeah Hey everybody, I want to jump in real quick and thank one of our sponsors for this episode. That is Casper Mattress. Casper is the sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get the best rest one night at a time. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. The original Casper Mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. This breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. They have affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. Hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. Delivered right to your front door in a small, how-do-they-do-that sized box. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So you guys get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash have another and using the code have another at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, to get $50 towards select mattresses, visit casper.com slash have another and use the promo code have another at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks Casper for supporting this episode of the podcast and thank you listeners for supporting our sponsors of the show. All right, let's go ahead and continue my conversation with Charlie Watson. But speaking of alcohol, you're a big fan of Jen and you talk about how uh, running, you like the thought of an 80-20 balance. So talk about that yeah. a little bit. I mean, I think because I'm not from a running or fitness background, really, I had to balance training for a marathon with my social life, with the fact that my husband isn't really a runner, although I would like to add that he has run two marathons since I've started running. So he does like to say that at least he has run a couple of marathons. But I, yeah, for me, my life isn't based around running. And most of the way I socialize with my friends is going out for drinks or for dinners or going on holiday with them. So I don't want to miss out on that side. So I'm very much like if I can eat well, exercise, feel great 80% of the time, and then I can relax and have a gin and tonic or a glass of wine you know, the other 20% of the time or a piece of chocolate cake. 
Oh yeah. And I noticed on your, um, on your Instagram question story, the question thing, um, somebody asked you if you run with a group and you said you're a little bit intimidated to try to find mm. one cause you've had bad experiences. What, what's that all about? So when I first started running, I think it must've been a couple of months after I ran the London marathon, I went to join this local running club near where I worked in central London, Piccadilly circus. And I joined the group run and I was just left in almost immediately. And I got totally lost. It was, it was black. Like London winters are so dark. It was cold and I was just on my own. And it was before again, Google maps was very good. So I was just lost in central London alone crying. And I rang my, boyfriend now husband and I was like what do I do and he's like go back to the start get your bag and come home it doesn't matter and I think I put it out on Twitter I was like that was awful and someone was like that happened to me last time let's both go next week and we'll run together and she's one of my really good friends now I she lives she's unfortunately moved back to New Zealand but you know we're still really good friends and it was such a bad experience but it turned into a good one but I'm I'm it's ridiculous. I'm, I've been running for what, five years, but I'm still nervous about going to join a, a group and being left behind or, um, getting lost or just being, you know, feeling like I'm slowing people down. And it's uncomfortable too, when everybody knows, it seems to know each other and you just yeah. show up. Yeah. And as much as you don't want it to be, I still think that I have got ideas of, you know, cliquey sports teams in my head. But the, the silly thing is that if somebody messaged me saying, should I go and do this? I'm like, yeah, everyone's so friendly. Just go for it. I need to take my own advice. Totally. Like it makes me want to make sure. And I, I don't go to group runs or anything right now either because just the time in my life, it just doesn't make sense. But um, it makes me want to make sure if I'm ever in that setting that I'm the one that's like looking for the person that shows up alone and doesn't know anybody. Definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure that if I went, people would be nice. Oh, totally. I think it's just this predisposition to be like, everyone's going to hate me. Everyone's going to be so fast. I'm just not going to go. I don't want the, the disappointment or the fear. And also, we've, we're moving to a new place. So I need to make friends. I don't have any friends where I'm moving. So How far are you moving another, from where you are? About 15 minutes down the road. But it's still, it's not where we grew up. So we've already made one move out of London away from most of our friends. And so this is just a little bit further out, but it's a better commute into London for us. And we can afford a bigger house than where we live right now, which is so expensive. Yeah. So your husband's a pilot. Where does, who does he work for? He works for a company called Flybee, which is a Europe and UK based airline. So do you fly on flights that he is piloting do you know I haven't before but I am this week on Friday I'm going with him to the south of France for one of my friend's weddings it'll be my first ever ever flight with him as captain or not captain first officer but so will he be I mean is it a major is it a big airline like you'll just be one of like 200 passengers and he's flying not 200 but like 50 it's like one of the sort of smaller smaller aircrafts but yeah I'll be just random person he said he's gonna announce it to the whole whole of the passengers (laughs) like my wife is on board I'm gonna just be so embarrassed but it'll I'm excited as well that's awesome all right so you have to talk to us a little bit about the dietetics thing I love what you wrote in your recent blog post don't give up on a goal because of the time it will take to achieve it the time will pass anyway and I think we've all heard some 
form of that quote in the past, but man, it's so true because you're just going to think about it and think about it. And then it's going to be five years later and you're going to think, man, I could have done that in that five years. Yeah, exactly. And I'm so glad I did. It was such a long journey. Um, but I'm so glad I started it four years ago because yeah, as you say, I would just still be there now. I was working in publishing. It was, I was enjoying it, but I just didn't think it was going to be a career forever. And so, yeah, I took the first steps there and I thought I can always go back to this with another credential under my belt, but it's been, it's been an eye opening journey. I don't know. Cause you, you studied dietetics at university, did you, didn't you? I did. And I got or nutrition. Yeah. I got yeah. really bad grades and I never got an internship and then I just let it go oh, and no. moved on with my life. But I mean, the quote stands out to me specifically I mean, I think for me, I think that this was the right life path. But at the time, I remember being 22 and thinking like my world was crashing down on me because I didn't get this internship. And then the thought of like going back and retaking organic chemistry another time and all of that was like so devastating to me. Looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lindsay, you could have delayed yourself two years. What's two years? You know, Um, now at 34, I think that. But um Yeah. And I remember, I specifically remember being at the restaurant that I worked at and talking to my boss about it. And he was like, oh my gosh, she'll be like 25. And and just at the time, not realizing how small amount of my life it would have been to go back and and do it. But I mean, when you were taking on this, like, I want to become a dietitian, this is what it's going to take. It's going to be like a four or five year process. I mean, that is a really long time. So how did you decide to commit to it? And why, why were you interested in it in the first place? So I used to work at Good Housekeeping magazine, um, writing their food, writing the recipes, writing their food pages. And I would literally make a cake for the magazine and eat a lot of it because I was like, I'm running so much. I can, you know, burn this many calories. And I put on quite a lot of weight when I was working there and so then I started being like right I wonder if I eat differently whether I could run faster if I could lose weight will I be able to run faster and that's where I started researching and realized how much misinformation there is online and how many people without any credentials are sharing advice and that's when I started being like right maybe I should go back to university and study or learn a bit more about it maybe I should do a nutrition course and I was pointed in the direction of dietetics because I was told that if a nutritionist and a dietitian are applying for the same job unless you know if they're exactly the same kind of person the dietitian will get it because they have got better in the UK anyway a better qualification usually it's not quite as simple as that but The other thing that swayed me towards dietetics is that in the UK, when I applied, it was a free course. So the NHS paid for it, which was really helpful. So I looked into what I needed to do to get onto a course and I needed to do a biology and chemistry A level. So the, you know, high school equivalent, which I didn't have. And I thought, right, even if I just do these and I never take it any further, it doesn't matter. Like they're not, it's not that expensive for me to do it. I did it part-time in the evenings. It's one step, you know, towards one the dietetics goal. Yeah. And then once I did that, I got into university and was like, right, well, I'll just do the first year. And if I hate it, that's fine. I can give up because it's free. It doesn't matter. 
that's another step. And so now here I am four steps down. I've got one left and then I qualify. That's awesome. So did you, do you just took your RD exam, didn't you? No. So I, that was actually a biochemistry exam Okay. Um, that I had to retake <laughs> because yep. I'm terrible at I biochemistry. I feel ya. I feel ya. So did and, you, so you took yeah. your exam now, is it the same in the UK? Cause it, in, in the United States, once you graduate, you have to then go do like a six to 12 month internship. So mine is actually involved within my degree. So my year, my degree is a four year degree and I've just finished, I've done four months of placement already in hospitals and I've got another four months to go. So and did then, you apply to that? Like, what, cause it's a lottery system here. So did you do the lottery system there or how does it look like, how does that look over there? So as part of your degree, if you do dietetics, it's it's inbuilt and they'll place you into one of the hospitals. As long as you have passed all your prerequisites to get into your placement, um, it's sort of random allocation. So I just finished one that was in Paddington. So it's actually where um, Kate Middleton gave birth is the hospital I just did oh, my wow. placement at. So we, I've, um, I saw them as they were arriving. No, you didn't. Yeah. I got, I've got a photo. I, I was told off for taking the photo, but I got a photo of <laughs> Prince William when he went to go and get his kids. Um, that's hilarious. Did you, yeah. but you didn't get to serve them their food. Like you didn't get to jump into the diet office and be like, I can bring that plate yeah. of food up to Kate. <laughs> Sadly not. My past didn't get me into the building. They, they were in the private wing. I was uh, not allowed in there. But um, yeah, it was pretty cool. There were so many photographers and real fans surrounding us. It was actually quite hard to get into the other buildings that we needed to do work in. But no, we're lucky that it's all all sort of in, entwined within the one degree. Yeah. Well, and I, I said lottery system and people that are dietitians here in America might be like, well, it's not really like that. It's kind of like the how you get placed for like medical school or something. You 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 pick your like top choices and then it aligns you based on your grades and your experience and all that. And it's it's kind of a funky system. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a long process. And man, people that aren't really is. dietitians like they don't I don't think many people realize how much science is really involved. I mean, <gasps> yeah. so much science. So much. I mean, going back to the biochemistry, genuinely, the exam I did yesterday, I was like, I don't understand this. I just know it now. I can answer the exam questions because <laughs> I find it so difficult. And I know what I need to know to do my job as a dietitian, but I don't know the, yeah, the organic chemistry yes. or the, you know, honestly, some of the stuff that I was writing answers about yesterday. I was just like, why do I need to know this? I know, but, like the organic chemistry stuff, it's mm -hmm. always like, I get why you need to have a heavy science uh, background for dietetics, but man, like how is that going to translate into me really knowing yeah. about nutrition and how to prescribe certain diets yeah. and ways of and eating? I think it negatively impacts the communication aspect of it. I think a lot of people are chosen to go on the courses that are very, very good at science, but actually can't communicate very well. Sure. And I think that is, is one negative aspect of it that there's, you know, there's people on my course that I think will be great in research, but actually when you put them in the general public, trying to give dietary advice to, you know, gestational diabetes, mothers that are struggling with, you know, they're upset and they're struggling with what they're eating or, that they really find that really difficult. And, and it creates this sort of negative connotation of a dietitian because yeah. it's, you know, people think it's very black and white. Whereas actually when I was speaking to, you know, sometimes 21 year old 
mothers about what they're eating it was about being like you're doing a great job you need to reassure them that they're it's not their fault that sort of thing so um yeah I, I loved my placement I I got on really well there and and actually having thought I really wanted to do sports nutrition I loved being in the intensive care unit and on the trauma ward so much that now I'm like oh maybe I'd like to do really? some more more um get some more experience there yeah oh wow yeah, so props to all you dietitians out there. We know how yeah. hard you've worked. I know there's probably quite a few dietitians that listen to the show. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in in uh, deciding that you're going to take the time and make time for something that's a pretty big goal and chunk of time in your life? I think, well, the thing that it's taught me is that if you want to do something, you'll find a way. If you really, really want to do it, you'll make it happen. You'll sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed and prioritize things and and make it happen really. Um, I think that so often we say, you know, in terms of things like training for marathon, people are like, I don't have time. Well, if you really wanted to, you would find time. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. You know, <laughs> like I, you with three kids training for marathons, like amazing. Yeah, you can, you can make time for the things you want to do. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay. But you, yeah, I, that is actually one of my biggest pet peeves is when people a when they talk about how busy they are all the time and and b when they say they don't have time for something because I'm like that's fine but you probably could figure it out like how much tv are you watching like and and if you enjoy watching tv and that's what you want to do with your time that's fine but don't say you don't have time or I'm like get a treadmill and watch tv while you do yeah I, I get it like I'm not the kind of person that works 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. Like there are people out there that truly work that much. Um, Mm. But the majority of people, you have time. And, you know, this makes me think of this other podcast I was listening to the other day. I listened to uh, Amy Porterfield, Online Marketing Made Easy. And um, (laughs) she was interviewing Rachel Hollis, another social media person that I actually, um, (laughs) I sort of like, love slash hate follow her because <laughs> I don't relate to her life at all because yeah. she's like got a full-time nanny and housekeeper uh, and stylist and she's worked hard for where she's come but I'm just like I can't relate to your life woman yeah. like this is yeah. not reality um but anyway she's really really motivational and she always hones on this uh nobody cares about your dream or your vision <laughs> like you do and I struggle with this with my husband sometimes because he's very supportive of my podcast and what I want this to turn into. But like, I can't rely on him and I can't, I can't like uh, make him be as invested in this dream as I am. Or when I talk to my friends, you know what I mean? Like nobody's going to care about it like you. So like, you're the one that's going to have to get up at five and invest the time. You're the one that's going to have to not watch, um, whatever show you want to watch and and work on your stuff because nobody else cares about this dream like you do. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, as much as they are supportive, they're not going to be the ones that need to put the work in it. As you say, 5am. And they're not going to be devastated and heartbroken if you don't end up being a dietitian or, you know, my podcast doesn't end up turning into X, Y, and Z because it's not their dream. It's your dream. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I just got off on a, on a, rant about that <laughs> no I love it and I'm gonna have to listen to that to that podcast it sounds sounds like a good one 
Have you ever listened to her, Amy Porterfield? No, I've never, I've never even heard of her. Yeah, I mean, she's just like kind of an online business strategist, but she's very organized and detailed and to the point. And there's kind of like no BS with her stuff. She's real smart. She knows what she's doing. A good one to add to the long run, long so, run list. So everybody listening, whatever that dream is, make the time for it. And it's exactly the, the other thing is, is it it can be a short, a short period of time. You know, like. If you, if the marathon, for instance, is the one thing that you want to get off your bucket list, well, like, look, this isn't like a lifelong lifestyle you have to become accustomed to. It's like, let me dedicate 16 weeks. Let me cut this, this, and this out for 16 weeks and make it happen. And then if I want to do it again, I can, but I can also move on with my life. Yeah. No, you don't have to do 11, 12, however many, (laughs) I don't know how many you've done, Lindsay, but, um, yeah, I guess the warning is that marathons can become addictive because you're like, I could run faster or you set yourself different time goals or different races that you want to do. But yeah, if you want to do one, I think that it doesn't even have to be a huge sacrifice. You just swap a few things. If you're already going to your fitness class three, four times a week, just change those to runs. We can't promise you won't want to do more though. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So your next big goal, um, I saw one of your bucket list things. You want to do a full Ironman. And so that's a yeah. goal for 2019. Yeah. That was signed off by the husband because I was like, that is going to be, needs some sacrifices. Oh, yeah. That's going to be big time. Oh, yeah. Um, but I kind of, it's my last, sorry, I finished university in May, June of 2019. So I've become qualified, but it often apparently takes quite a long time for your um, like the actual qualification to come through for you to be able to apply for jobs. So I'm going to use that time productively in my eyes and, and train for the train for the Ironman. So have you done a half? No. Okay. That's okay. I will, I will sign up for one in the process of like doing my full, just as like practice. I've done a, I've done a sprint triathlon. That's about, that's about it. I basically need to get a lot better on the bike. Yeah, that's the thing about the Iron Man. That's the thing that keeps me because I, I mean, I'd like to make that a goal as well in my life. But man, committing to that much training on the bike, it's just a huge commitment. Yeah. And I'm just a terrible cyclist. I am not fast. Like I, I've cycled a couple of t- like trips with my friends and I'm like, yeah, I'm really fast. You know, not fast, but I'm relatively fast fast runner compared to my friends but it does not translate into cycling fitness I am the back of the peloton in our little group I have to take more breaks than everyone else everyone I, last two summers ago we cycled to Amsterdam and my friend was like if you don't hurry up you will be put on the bus <laughs> well <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry well and that's the thing when you're like an when running is your first sport like running's the thing that you love when you're training for an Ironman or a half Ironman or whatever, you naturally want to be like, well, I'll get my runs in. But yeah. what I when I did a half Ironman a few years ago, I had to purposely like train my brain to think if you're going to miss any workout, it can't like it's got to be the run because you yeah. know you can do the run. So like if you're going to miss a workout, it can't be the bike. It can't be the swim because <laughs> like a seven mile run is not going to make or break any kind of training, any part of your training. Cause you know how to run seven miles and your body yeah. naturally does it. And it doesn't scare you. I think that's the thing is that the bike is so far that it it's terrifying. Whereas 26.2 miles is not terrifying. And I need to, yeah, I basically need to become more confident and more competent on the bike before I start training, because otherwise I'm going to look at some of these mileages and just think, 
I cannot even attempt that. Yeah, it's really far. Well, and I think a lot of people that do triathlon and Ironman um, aren't not the natural runners. And so they are the opposite of us where they need to be like, I can't miss my runs. And, yeah. you know, and but when I did my half Ironman and when my husband did his full run is obviously like our strength. And I mean, people are just like falling off like flies on that run because it's so tough if that's not your go-to after yeah. getting off the bike for 112 miles. Um, well, that's really exciting. And you're coming back to the States for that. I feel like you come to the yeah. States quite a bit. I'm Yeah, I'm literally obsessed with the States. I think if, um, <laughs> if it was easier for us to live there, I w- would. But I travel as much as possible. I've got one of my best friends lives in New York, which makes it convenient. And my mom is obsessed with the States too. So she's always down for a trip. She's coming with me to Utah in, in September. So yeah, um, it's her 60th birthday, basically the week after the Ironman. So I think she's going to make it into a bit of a trip with my stepdad. And so will your husband come to the Ironman too? I think that will be a, let's see how much I've annoyed him during training. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. But, um, he, his schedule, like his work roster is not very flexible. So if he gets it off, he'll be there. But if, if not, then he will be cheering from 30,000 feet, I'm sure. Well, you won't be annoying him because you'll be so, you'll be training so much that you won't even ever see him. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, yeah, I think that hopefully he's quite keen to get better at cycling. So hopefully he'll, he'll join me for, for the rides and then, I, I can just swim first thing in the morning. We live we live on the Thames and there's a lot of swimming events um, in the summer on the Thames. So I do, did one of those with my auntie last summer. So I'll rope her into those and make them into social occasions too. Yeah, that's really helpful when you can make the bike rides into like a social thing so that the distance doesn't seem so A, boring, B, daunting. Yeah. Um, all right, Charlie, well, let's do some end of the podcast questions. Great. What is one thing personally or professionally, we've probably covered this, yeah. um, that you haven't done that you'd like to do? So I was thinking about this, yeah, Ironman um, and Boston Qualify. But professionally, I think I'd like to get a master's in whatever I want to specialize in, maybe after a couple of years, go back to go back to school and you know delve a little bit deeper, either into sports nutrition or into critical care, critical care nutrition. Is that your dream? I mean, is that your dream job? I used to think the sports was, I was like, I would love to be on like the Olympic team, helping the Mm, cyclists mm -hmm. or runners or athletes, um, improve their performance with nutrition. But now that I've been on intensive care and seen how vital the dietetic input is there, I absolutely loved it. And I, I think that that could be a, you know, reasonable career that I would really enjoy and find really fulfilling. Isn't that something until you actually put yourself Mm. in the experiences, you don't, really know yeah I thought I would hate it I I, because because of the way that my friend died um they were really worried about me being on intensive care Mm. and I had to go and have this extra special day and they walked me around and I and instead of being scared and nervous about it all I spent as much time as I could reading every patient's notes speaking to every doctor every nurse that I could and like sort of finding out as much information as I could and being as helpful as possible. And I sort of flipped the whole experience round and got great feedback from, from our supervisors. And they were like, yeah, we think you'd really excel in this area. So it was nice to hear and very unexpected from my experience there, but yeah. 
Yeah, that's some of the best life stuff when you end up loving something that you kind of wrote off and thought that it yeah. wouldn't be what you loved. Love Definitely. That. What's one message you'd like to send to the world? This is what I have written in the bracelet that I my mom gave me off to Tokyo is you can do hard things. Mm. And it's about reminding yourself that not everything is easy. And that when things are when stuff gets difficult, when things are hard, it makes it more worthwhile. And it just proves your strength of character. So true. I think I repeat that to myself mostly just on the days I'm home with my kids, but I I say it out loud in front of them. Like when someone's screaming, I'm like, we can do hard things, guys. Come on, let's turn it around. Like, and I'm mostly just giving myself a pep talk, but it's so true. Yeah. I say it to myself while I'm doing like, yeah, as you say, the mile repeats or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the end of a marathon or just a bad day. Yeah. Like when my train commute is awful, just get through this. Come on. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? So I was thinking about this and I was thinking it was going to be marathon, but actually the hardest thing I've ever done is I climbed Kilimanjaro a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. And that was the hardest thing and something I'm most proud of. I can't believe we didn't even cover that. That's crazy. There's a whole blog post. Yeah. We'll put it it in the show notes. It was was an amazing, amazing experience. Who did you do that with? So I went on my own uh, with a group and a group of strangers. And I was like, I really want to do this. Nobody else. I was at my university summer holidays. No one else has free time or, you know, their time or, you know, they didn't want to do it. So I just did it by myself. And that was one of the bravest things I think I've ever done. And it was incredible. I would definitely recommend it to anyone that has it on their bucket list. I would never go do that by myself with a group (laughs) of strangers. That's amazing that you did that. But you know what, what? The thing was with strangers, you can't complain. That's right. So my feet hurt or I felt a bit sick or I just had to be put a smile on my face. And I was like, no one's, no one, no one cares. You yep. just need to, I might, I had like some chocolate stashed away and I'd have a bit of chocolate or I'd put some, you know, some piece of music on my iPod and just keep pushing forward. And, or actually what I tried to do was make small talk with the people around me and be like, how proud are your kids going to be of you to the guy in front of me? Or how did you think of doing this to the person behind me? And it was, I'm still friends with them now. It was an amazing experience. Oh, that is so cool. I love that. If you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun or inspiring, who would it be? Mine would be David Attenborough. Do you have him in the US? I don't know who that is. Oh, so he's like a national treasure in the UK. He's like, he's like 90 something. He presents all of our nature documentaries and he has traveled around the world. He's, he's just amazing. He's got a voice that if you played it anywhere in the UK, everyone would know him. I was worried that people might not know, know who that was, but he would be my first one. And my second one, my favorite person in the world is my grandfather. And Aww. so I, I would go and have cocktails with younger him I'd love to see him in his heyday oh that's awesome is he still alive yeah he is he literally comments on my blog every time if anyone ever sees G he's like the first person to comment oh that is so precious yeah he sends me messages before all of my marathons and um he's where I got the travel bug from he travels more than anyone else I know that is precious that he reads all of your blogs. Yeah. I feel like a lot of that generation doesn't get blogging and no. any of that. So they just, they would say, oh yeah, my granddaughter has this like journal or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the best, most recent book you've read? 
So the best one I have listened to on audiobook was Dina Castor's book, which I really loved. Um, I can't remember what the name of that one is. Uh, Let Your Mind Run. Let Your Mind Run. That was really, really helpful. I, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, and then I just got back from a, a beach pool holiday. So I was reading really trashy stuff. And I really <laughs> liked When Life Gives You Lululemons. About like, it's about like these women in Connecticut and having their, you know, surgeries and oh my god it's actually just it's really easy reading and it's just quite funny is it like the real housewives of books sort of it's so it's it's the i get i'm terrible with names but it's it's the same author as the devil wears prada okay oh really it's it's a fun holiday read basically do you guys have uh real housewives over there like the tv show Sadly, yes. That is one of the things that I sacrifice to run. I'm I'm not really into them. <laughs> I don't watch it either. I, I think I watched a season or two like years ago. But yeah, the, that's actually not one of my guilty pl- pleasures. I do watch The Bachelorette, but like, or The Bachelor. But yeah, The Real Housewives, is, I've never got sucked into them, thankfully. No. We don't really have The Bachelorette either. I, I have to admit, I do sometimes watch The Kardashians. Oh, yeah. I, I had a season where I, I got sucked in, but... Um, I stopped. I, I think that was before I had kids and I, I, I definitely stopped since then. I, I just, I can't stand them. I cannot stand the Kardashians. No, that's a, that's a hate watch for me. I'm yes. Like, yes, uh, exactly. Um, all right, Charlie, well, you're going to stay on for some Patreon questions. Thank you for sharing your story. And I hope that, I hope, I know that you've inspired some people to a run their first marathon, try to break four hours, try to be cute. Uh, go do something adventurous like hike Mount Kilimanjaro with a bunch yeah, of strangers. Yeah. So thank well, you. Thank you so much for having me on. I love the podcast and um, have listened for a long time. So Aww. thanks for having me on All and right. for dealing with the difficulties. <laughs> thank you. All right, everybody, for more continued conversation with Charlie, we've got about 15, 20 minutes extra for you over on my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. When you support the show over there, you get bonus content. I record episodes with my husband, Glenn. I record extra questions with my guests. And I also have returning guests on the show as well. You guys can get access to that when you support the show for as little as 3 or $5 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash lindsayhine. And thank you everybody else who's already over there supporting the show. Don't forget to check out our sponsors for the show. Go to prepdish.com slash another for your free two-week trial. Use the promo code another. And if you're in the market for a mattress, go to casper.com slash have another and use the code have another to get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Next week on the podcast, we've got Ben Rosario on the show. Great interview with him. Loved chatting with him and learning more about NAS Elite. We've had a couple of their athletes on the show, including Steph Bruce and Kellen Taylor. And I loved hearing about his coaching philosophy and what their program looks like over there. Really fun conversation with him. You guys make sure you're following me on Instagram, lindsayhine 626 I'm on Twitter at Lindsay Hine, and we've got an awesome Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine as well. Follow Charlie, the runner beans. Go look her up on Instagram if you aren't already doing so. She's so much fun over there. And thank you, Charlie, so much for coming on the show and sharing your life with us a little bit. Loved chatting with you and appreciate that you as a guest on my show are also a listener. If you guys are enjoying the show, I would appreciate a rating and review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen to. 
It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find us. And also, if you aren't already subscribed, make sure you're subscribed to the show. That helps with the iTunes rankings as well. All right, guys, have a great Friday. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.